0: Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex for BTN.com and this episode's guest is a guy I've been hoping to get on the show for a while and with the baseball playoffs wrapping up recently I figured this would be a good time of year to reach out and that guest is none other than Brian Anderson who besides calling hoops for BTN he is the play-by-play man for the Milwaukee Brewers and he also calls the Major League Baseball playoffs for Turner Sports among other gigs as well so he just got done calling the Cubs Dodgers NLCS a couple weeks back and he was kind enough to come on the show for over an hour to discuss his uh, many broadcasting gigs talk some baseball and got into his career path as well and if you haven't listened to episodes where I have these sports media professionals on I always enjoy hearing their backgrounds and, and their paths and how they got to where they are today and that's exactly the uh way the discussion unfolded with Brian, and he had a lot of good stuff to share. So we'll get that to that uh, chat in just a moment. First, I did want to drop a couple of reminders. Um, one, please be sure to subscribe to the Take 10 Podcast on the various podcasting platforms if you haven't already. Um, that includes Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Podbean. And another reminder, we do have a coupon code for listeners of the podcast that is valid on the btn.com shop. You can take 10% off your order by typing in the coupon code "Take 10 that's capital T-A-K-E-1-0, and that btn.com shop has everything you could want as a Big Ten fan, they got school apparel, team license gear, uh, that's Jordan, Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, all that top line stuff, and they've got team-themed decorations as well, which... I don't have to tell you, but um, they come in handy, especially this time of year during the holiday season. So don't forget to use that Take 10 promo code and uh, get 10% off your order on that online shop. And now we'll get to our conversation with play-by-play announcer Brian Anderson of the Milwaukee Brewers, Turner Sports, and more. Enjoy. Enjoy. I am very pleased to be joined by Brian Anderson. He's a man that wears many hats in the play by play industry. He's got a heavy presence in baseball as the voice of the Milwaukee Brewers on their Fox regional network. He does Sunday games on TBS for Turner, does the MLB playoffs, including the league championship series, does NBA games for Turner on TNT. He's called golf, he's called NFL, and Big Ten fa- fans out there might also recognize his work as. And NCA Tournament broadcaster and Big Ten Network basketball play-by-play, man. So, first of all, Brian, how's it going? And second of all, did I miss anything in that introduction
1: there? <laughs> uh, husband, father, dog owner. But I think everything else you covered, man. It's, uh, it's going great. I'm, I'm now getting my basketball eyes and ears on after a long baseball season. That started in late February for me. So, finished up with the National League Championship Series that lasted only five games between the Dodgers and the Cubs we were hoping for more but uh, lasted only five and so I've had a couple of weeks off and now getting ready for college basketball first and then the NBA will will start for me in December
0: yeah and I just want to thank you again for joining me taking the time Um, like you said we just heard you on the NLCS a couple weeks ago you mentioned you had a couple weeks off is that kind of the most downtime you really get all year this period between baseball and college hoops starting up
1: yeah, yeah. It's uh, I, I built that in for a couple of years there. I did the NFL for CBS, and um, that just got to be a little too much for me. I was only doing a handful of games a year, uh, but as you know, when you follow a sport, or especially the NFL, uh, even though it's a once a week sport, um, you have to dive in pretty heavy, make sure that you have everything covered. So I was spending so much time uh, just keeping myself on level with information and what was happening around the league, even though I wasn't necessarily working every week. Um, I just uh, I felt like that was my one off season that I had to, had to grab back. So I did it for a couple of years, and then uh, these last two seasons uh, I've decided not to do the NFL. And I, I think I do enough sports and enough leagues, so um, I was happy for the opportunity. I enjoyed doing it. I just uh, needed a little more time to get to know my family and feel like a normal person again for a little while. The basketball schedule is much more laid back for me than the baseball schedule. Um, You know, I do a game or two a week versus six a week in the baseball schedule, sometimes seven a week. So it feels like an off-season, even though it's not, and you're still preparing for games uh, as you normally would. But, um, you know, you go through the, the winter months, November, December, all the way Uh, up until March Madness, and then that's when it really starts up again. March uh, is a very busy month for me with spring training, baseball, and then, of course, the tournament. So, uh, yeah, I try to build in as much downtime as I can, so this is it right here. So I'm glad to be on this podcast with you. You're catching me in a very low, brain-dead moment right now, Alex.
0: Yeah, absolutely. After I heard the NLCS, I was like, I bet he might be available for uh, a uh, (laughs) a quick chat. And uh, like you said, and like I mentioned, you you wear many hats, and that, that introduction... Really felt similar when I introduced another guest on this show when it was uh, really in its infancy, and that was uh, several months back. That was Kevin Kugler. I think he was like the second-ever guest on this show, and it feels like forever ago, even though it was only a few months ago. But uh, anyway, like you, he, he balances a bunch of high-profile gigs, and, and talking to him, I love getting his answers on how he really manages it all and manages that schedule. So, uh, Brian, just take me through one of your – I guess you mentioned March is really busy. Like, How do you balance – uh, a schedule in March when you have spring training, when you have March Madness heating up? How, how does it all fit?
1: Well, I use the analogy. It's it's uh, not the most pleasant analogy, but uh, it, it it's like a woman who is about to deliver a baby. The baby is coming. So that's my phrase. I usually say that before uh, I go on the air or when, when people ask me, are you ready? I say, it doesn't matter because the baby's coming when the baby comes, <laughs> you know. And so <laughs> it doesn't really matter. And so you manage it. Uh, that way, you you know, it's not as dramatic as as childbirth, but for me, it's about uh, getting prepared, you know, studying for a particular game or a particular run of games, and then going and doing the games, and then, you know, there was a point in my career when I over-prepped, meaning I, I got myself in such a fatigue state because of the prep I did to make sure I didn't miss any inch Uh, When I actually got to the broadcast itself, you know, I didn't quite have the energy and I didn't quite have what I wanted out of it, and I wasn't trusting of what I saw. So now I I prep, I read a lot. You know, you're constantly reading, um, and then you get a general feel. And then when you get to the site, whether it's the arena or the ballpark or the field or wherever you're going, when you get to that site, you really have to trust your ability to ask specific, poignant questions, and get information that people can't access on on the Internet or on Twitter, Uh, because there's so much information out there now. You want to give a broad brush of, uh, of what these teams are, what these players are, but then what you, what in my goal is to always try to bring something that no one has yet, no one has been able to talk about yet or been able to read about yet. And really, the only way you get that is by Going and getting it yourself, literally before the game. You know, hours before the game, minutes before the game. If if you happen to have a conversation with somebody, and and then and then you got to trust your ad livability and your vocabulary and the, the ability to form that into a story and a digestible story between calling the play by play. So that's kind of the rhythm of it. And then you know, I, I think over the years as I've I've done this. I've been a broadcaster, a play-by-play broadcaster professionally since 1994, and over the years you develop skills, you know, the, the quick information skills, how to read, how to prep, how to go find something even during a game that maybe you're not quite confident in. Um, and so all that comes into play, and so there's really no method to it other than this rhythm that happens every time, whether you're doing a baseball game, football, basketball, whatever it may be, golf, Um, You go into it trying to learn as much as you can, be as curious as you can. That's my nature anyway, which I I enjoy the prep because I want to tell a story of a program or a team or a player. And so if you lose that, then you're going to lose the ability um, to be a storyteller, to weave in that half of the broadcast, play-by-play broadcasting, what I do, there's two pieces one piece is the storytelling um, the context the background the other piece is actually calling the plays and these plays are usually what everybody hears that's what is clippable and what is uh, promoted on social channels and you don't really hear all the backstories and all the prep work you did it's pretty much did he did he nail the call or not did he ruin the call or not so those are the important pieces to think about when you're preparing for a game, and that's what I do, and that's just kind of my rhythm. So, um, I will take every day that I'm free, and I will read and find out about you know a certain team that I'm covering. I've got Purdue first uh, on my Big Ten schedule, so you know I've already tapped into Bleacher Report and put Purdue as one of my team streams, and um, you know I'll, I'll pay attention to the teams that I have upcoming. Uh, as the as the days go by and then as we get, you know, a couple of days from the broadcast and you really start to bear down and start to write out your boards and really formulate what is going to be your game plan, my game plan on the broadcast.
0: Sure, and uh, not a bad first assignment because Purdue uh, reigning Big Ten champs and should be a fun team to watch once again this year. Um, I wanted to get into your background a little bit just because, like I said, uh, you know, having – established professionals on this show i always like hearing how they they came up through the industry and hearing about their path and i listened to your appearance um last spring on the sports illustrated media podcast with richard deitch and and that helped me a great deal to get to know you know where you came up obviously everyone listening to this did not also listen to that podcast um so i don't want this to be a rehashing of that episode but i I do want to i do want you to go through a little bit um about your path, and um, kind of hoping you could lay out a sort of condensed rundown of how you got to where you are today, with all these high-profile gigs that you're able to do. Because listening to your background on that podcast, you, you really grinded for a long time before you really got some true breaks, right?
1: No, I did. I mean, uh, that was an important part of my life and part of my career too. And you know, I never, I never went through all of this or thought about my my path or these beginning stages as um, a means to what I'm doing now. So, you know, Bubba Watson had this famous line after he won the Masters. They asked him, you know, in your wildest dreams, could you imagine? He goes, he didn't even dream this big. And I would say the same thing about my career. I didn't dream that I would be doing what I'm doing now. My only goal when I started was to be a major league baseball radio announcer. That was my... That's really all I knew because I was doing radio in the minor leagues um, when I started, and that was my goal. So I, I was doing everything with that in mind and never knowing that it would uh, become so much broader than that. You now you know, There's a lot more television involved for me and different sports. So um, I really, I when I was in college, I, I uh, I was a business major at a university called Southwestern University. It was a small college in Texas, and I I played baseball there. And I was just unhappy, and I I was struggling in school. I was a very good student, but it was a lot of work, and and I just wasn't into it. You know, I didn't have that passion. And so one of the worst things that happened to me was um, that university decided to drop Scholarships and go Division Three. So they went from NAIA to Division Three. Uh, I was not a good enough baseball player to play Division One, um, so I played NAIA ball, which I loved, thoroughly loved, and um, had a great time. So then this university dropped scholarships, and they were going to go Division Three, which isn't great. I mean, not, nothing to that. But I had been recruited by another school, St. Mary's University in San Antonio, Texas. Um, and chose Southwestern. So then I reopened that recruitment and asked if there would be interest in me transferring over. So that was a a really key moment in my career, believe it or not. Even though I'm a student and I'm playing baseball, I'm not really thinking about my life after uh, my playing days and my my university days. Uh, The fact that St. Mary's opened up the door for me allowed me to move to San Antonio Um, changed my major from a business finance major to English communications with uh, emphasis on journalism, Uh, something that I was always interested in but never really confident enough to to have that as a major, and it wasn't even offered at the first university I was with. So I kind of took that chance and said, all right, this is a new start for me, and had a great experience playing baseball there. We were the number one team in the nation. I was the catcher, I play, I was a starting catcher, uh, made some great friends, and, and then my, the scholarly aspect of it went so much better for me, you know, I became a, a straight A student, I was on the dean's list because I was really interested in what I was studying at the time, which was English communications journalism. And then, lo and behold, because I was in San Antonio at St. Mary's, two major pieces of my life was occurring there at the same time that I didn't know at the time, but would eventually be a big part of my life. First, the San Antonio Spurs trained at St. Mary's. So they did their training camp at my university in, in the gym. And then second, the baseball field I played on in college, it's called V.J. Keats Stadium. That was also the home of the double-A team San Antonio Missions. So if you know my story you know where this is going, right? Long story short, I end up working for both of those organizations, meeting both of the power players in those organizations through my time at St. Mary's. Um, Mike Hiccarello with the San Antonio Spurs was a big part of that. He hired me knowing I was a ball player, hired me as a cameraman, a utility, an intern. Um, And then the San Antonio Missions, who we shared a field with, we would provide all the field services, like we would, we would clean up the field, we would uh, fetch the foul balls and home run balls and uh, pull the tarp and all of that. So I got to know that front office staff well as well, and they're the ones who hired me for my first broadcasting job uh, in 2004. So uh, that's why my path happened the way it did. I know people um, have a hard time grasping that I was a camera operator and I did graphics and I was a utility a cable puller and or what we'd know as a key grip in the movie industry. So I did all of that grunt work and then it was a natural progression for me after college to just to continue to work it was my first real job doing major league or uh, minor league baseball play-by-play. That happened in the summer months and then in the winter months I needed a job. I'd already had these relationships through the Spurs for my time at St. Mary's. So I was able to get all these freelance positions uh, running camera, being a utility, all those, all those behind the scenes jobs, and so it just naturally progressed that way. Uh, and then I did that for five years after uh, I graduated from college um, until I finally became a full time announcer, which was always the goal. And that's when I got the uh, the Spurs sideline job for the winter months, in addition to the minor league play by play job for the summer months. So that's a long story, but the the point of it is, it just was kind of laid out in front of me uh, the next door, right? Just follow the next right decision, the next door that was available. I just chased those doors, and that's why it ended up going on that track, which I would imagine would be almost impossible to replicate.
0: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned all the grunt work you you did, and you were uh, doing a lot of tech work alongside your play-by-play duties in the minor leagues. Was there ever a point that you thought about you know, giving up your dream of becoming a major league baseball broadcaster. Did you ever like reach a point in your life, either financially or emotionally, where it started to become uh, less than worth it?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, in the beginning when I was um, when I was going through the, these steps, when there were opportunities available, it was always really exciting. You know, man, I I can work for a minor league baseball team. That's really exciting. I can work for the san antonio spurs and be a a cable puller and a handheld cameraman that was all really exciting to me and i enjoyed it I, i still enjoy running camera and photography and videography it's really it's a great hobby of mine that i enjoy that you know i enjoy the composition of it so i didn't feel like any of that was a grind when i started what became a grind really and just to be honest was the financial side of it you know as these years are going by now, my this is 94, I started, so I, I actually started with the Spurs in 92, so as we get into 1996, 1997, you know, now I, I'm married, I, you know, my daughter was born in 99, so I'm now har- having a family, I have responsibilities, and I'm not making any money, you know, that that was really the biggest challenge, I loved everything I did. I just knew the only way to actually make a career out of this and to be a sustainable career is if I've made it to some level of major league broadcasting, whether that, whether that be the NBA or the NFL or um, major league baseball. So that's why there was that urgency to start to move forward, not because the job was hard. It, it wasn't. It was a blast. I love calling games and being a part of the team and being around the Spurs as a sideline reporter and those championship years you know my first year with the Spurs was 99 the first year they won the NBA title so it was a blast man I love that part of it but at the end of the day you know the checkbook wasn't balancing and so that was really where the anxiety came and there was a time um, in in 99 I had done a few games for ESPN a few baseball games little league world series games double a all-star game things like that and felt I was ready To do it at a higher level, but I I wasn't getting the job, so I was really frustrated. And I actually quit one year doing minor league baseball and started to pursue other avenues, public relations, uh, knowing I could always kind of keep some of the broadcasting jobs as a hobby. But um, I started pursuing these other avenues. I, I was working in the golf business, I was running corporate tournaments in the baseball off season while i was a cameraman and so I, I thought i'd maybe get into the program i was a pretty good golfer and thought i'd get into the pga professionals program and go that route so yeah i mean i, I did all that uh there was one moment where this this guy i worked for for golf hyatt his name was paul ernest still one of my great friends but after he came out and watched me work a game a minor league baseball game he sat in a booth with me we went out in the parking lot after had a few beers and he said, uh, you can't quit. And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, you, you, you can't quit, and I'm going to make sure that nobody in the South Texas PGA or in the Texas PGA Professionals Association will hire you. I'm going to blacklist you huh. so you will not pursue that, that angle. And I was like, what you, Paul, you can't do this to me, man. I need the job. I've got a kid coming. And he's like, no, nope, sorry. I'm going to make sure you don't get a job. This is right where you're supposed to be. And so, I mean, I tell the story all the time, and uh, his vision, you know, once you get inside the bubble so deep it's hard to see it any other way, he had a little different perspective. You know, he was an older guy that um, was a mentor to me and saw it a little different way, and really, because he was not going to allow me to have a job, he wasn't going to hire me full-time at his golf course, his company and then he was going to make sure I wasn't going to get hired anywhere else. I had no choice, so I still I had to get back on the grind and keep pushing and sending tapes out and making contacts. And so that, that was a similar moment in my career as well, the fact that he didn't um, allow me that chance. And There's a theme in my life, as you're noticing, Alex, I'm sure, but and it's, I think it applies to everybody, but what you feel like is your greatest disappointment is usually the thing that spurs you on to some of your greatest accomplishments, and and that is definitely true in my career.
0: Yeah, and as we kind of continue through your career career, uh, progression here, we're going to start weaving in, naturally, some baseball talk as well. And uh, this is a Big Ten podcast, but I'd be willing to bet uh, plenty of the fans listening, um, probably the vast majority, if they're baseball fans, Mm -hmm. root for an NL Central baseball team. I mean, the footprint of the NL Central division is pretty much the same as the Big Ten footprint, and we talk a ton of football and basketball on this podcast, so if there are any non-baseball fans out there, love to deal with it. Uh, for this episode, we're going to get some serious baseball talk in on this episode because you're the perfect guy to talk to about it. So, first of all, um, you're coming off what I, what I assume was just a, you know, a, an extremely fun season in Milwaukee for everyone involved in that organization. But before we get to the current brewers and discuss them, can you discuss in a little bit more detail how that Brewer's job came about for you?
1: Yeah, the Brewer's job was a little bit out of left field, pardon the pun. But it was um, it was um, sort of on the radar. But, but when I left minor league baseball, um, I got a job with Golf Channel. And it was a huge break for me. This was in 2003, beginning of the 2003 golf season. So um, I was hired to do 25 tournaments a year, live golf tournaments on national television. I had never done golf on TV. I had been involved in the golf world. As I mentioned, I worked at a golf club and ran tournaments. So I, I was very familiar with the sport, but never had done broadcasting for it. So the the man who hired me, his name is Tony He who is now the executive producer at Fox Sports North in Wisconsin, believe it or not, in a very roundabout connection. But... He he liked my background in basketball and baseball and then liked the fact that I was connected to um, the golf world. So he took a chance on me, thought I would be a good fit, a new face um, to work. I was only 31 at the time and thought I'd be a new face to bring on this new tour that was called the Nationwide Tour. They had a new sponsorship in Nationwide Insurance and uh, it was a developmental tour. And so he brought me on for that. So when I when I, I tell that story because when I took that job, I thought I was finished with baseball. It's really hard to get a Major League Baseball job, not to mention if you're not even working in baseball. So I left all that behind, figuring my baseball days were over, and I took the Golf Channel job. I was very happy there. Loved calling golf. Um, but then uh, in my fourth year, after my fourth year, um, Matt Vasgersian who – is a very close friend of mine, and we were together in the minor leagues. And you'll know Matt from—he's uh, calling the World Series on the international feed. He works for MLB Network. Um, Matt was was up for a job in Arizona. Uh, he turned the job down. He knew that the Arizona group was going to hire Darren Sutton. Darren Sutton was going to leave Milwaukee. So I kind of knew all of this was happening under the table uh, through Matt. And I was able to get some demo materials to the brewers before, basically, there was even a job open. Um, and then Matt offered a significant endorsement of me with the brewers, and there were some other people, Bob Euchre being one of them, um, who we had a mutual friend. And so, you know, there was just kind of a, a perfect storm of people saying, you should give this guy a look, you should give this guy a listen, even though... Uh, the way my boss tells it now with the Brewers, I was on, I was on the cutting room pile. You know, I was, I was not in the to be considered pile because I didn't have any major league experience at the time. So uh, they actually pulled that tape, that demo material, out of the not to be considered because of these recommendations. And then once that started, uh, my tape started circulating through the office. This is the way I understand it. Uh, all these years later, but um, I just kept kind of surviving every cut, you know, the first cut was the top 50, and then it was top 20, and then, uh, the final nine got phone interviews, which I did, um, and then it was down to the final four, which meant I flew to Milwaukee and, uh, had an interview in Milwaukee, and so all the time, all this while I'm doing golf, I was doing Q School, actually, in December, um, broadcasting that for Golf Channel, not really thinking it was going to be a possibility, and then it was Christmas Eve of, uh, Of uh, 2006, Christmas Eve 2006, I got a call from Tyler Barnes of the Milwaukee Brewers, and he offered me the job. And I I can remember I I was just coming out of church, and I was I was numb, you know, I was floored, Um, never thinking I would have a shot at this job. And I was really honest in the interviews, and wasn't quite sure I even wanted the job because I was really happy with uh, Golf Channel, but. Uh, that's how it came about and you know I just finished my 11th year with the Brewers and it's been a match made in heaven not only do we love the Brewers organization but my family and I you know we moved to Milwaukee and uh, we, we love Milwaukee we love the upper Midwest and Big Ten country and so we would we've had chances to leave and we we've chosen to stay and i um, very happy about that
0: yeah and you mentioned Matt and I'm a big fan of his honestly because he was the voice of MLB The Show when I was growing up, and I had all those video games, and he, he you know, now I hear him calling actual games, and he, he always has, I know, but that the voice always still resonates with me because I played those games growing up. Um, so, Brian, how does, how does the voice of the Brewers then end up calling playoffs and eventually League Championship Series?
1: Yeah, so, well, that was, uh, that, that, that's one of my, um, that's one of my key um, phrases when I speak to groups or students. So all those years that I was doing all of these sports—baseball, minor league baseball, um, small college basketball—I did. I did the Big Twelve women's package play-by-play for years uh, for Fox Sports Southwest. So, and I was doing a ton of games. I was basically doing the same schedule then as I do now. It just the games are different. You know, the games are NBA and Big Ten men's basketball and MLB. So. I was doing all of those things, and so I had all these reps of, and all these sports. Now I get the brewer's job, and suddenly it, it doesn't mean that I was a better broadcaster. Uh, I don't feel, I feel like I was doing the same broadcast. It's just now it's being heard on a much bigger audience. And so I felt, A, that I was ready to do anything that was thrown my way. So all of that seasoning and the grind, as you called it, which was true, but that prepared me for uh, being ready for that. you got to be ready for those opportunities and then not blow those opportunities when you get them. Um, so in 2007, I get the Brewer's job, and now I'm doing the Brewers. And um, Josh Lewin was doing a Fox game, doing Fox MLB, and he was working with Tim McCarver. And something happened with Josh. He, he couldn't get to a San Diego chargers game i think it was he was doing the chargers in the nfl on the radio late in the year late in the baseball season and so they needed somebody to get uh get to miami in a short notice and i was in atlanta and i was already working in the fox family with fox wisconsin at the time so they flew me to atlanta to work with the a crew this is in my first year as a major league broadcaster so i'm sitting there with tim mccarver who i've been watching call these world series and big games for the last, you know, however, 15, 20 years. Now I'm sitting next to him calling a Mets-Marlins game uh, as a fill-in. And Pete Macheska, who's producing the World Series currently, and uh, he was the producer, and Bill Webb was the director, the late Bill Webb, the great director, and this was their A crew. This was the crew that uh, in a few weeks was going to be doing the World Series. So I jumped in there and did it. Um, and it went really well, and the game was very entertaining. And um, that kind of got me a little bit on the radar. And then, so the next year comes around, 2008, the Brewers acquire C.C. Sabathia. And that's a really important part of my story because Sabathia became the story in Major League Baseball in 2008. Oh, yeah. The Brewers acquired him from the Indians. He, he shows up um, on the highlights every, every night he pitches. He's hitting home runs. He's throwing complete games. He's pitching on three days rest. The Brewers are making a push to make the postseason for the first time in 26 years. So all of these CC Sabathia moments, these calls, show up everywhere, show up on sports centers, show up on all the highlight shows, um, and my voice is on that. And so the folks at Turner Sports are now, unbeknownst to me, in the process of trying to find a play-by-play voice who's not really branded with another network and you know every time they turn on the television they hear my voice calling all these cc sabathia moments and so a gentleman by the name of howard zalkowitz um and jeff binky were at turner at the time in in executive positions and david levy who was the president of the company they all kind of went through the process another guy named glenn diamond who was a producer and my name just keeps circulating up the ladder with them, and um, and I didn't know any of this was going on. I get a call. I was at the Wisconsin State Fair with my daughter, <laughs> and I got a phone call from Brewers PR saying, uh, Turner Sports is wondering if you're available to do a, a couple of games on their Sunday package and then possibly the playoffs. So that was another huge break. So literally the first year I do Major League Baseball 07, Uh, turns into network television in 08. And, of course, the Brewers made the playoffs. They play the Phillies, and I'm doing that series. So I have to do the Brewers and the Phillies, my own team, uh, which is really difficult to do in a postseason. And, um, of course, the Phillies will go on to win. They would go on to win the World Series that year. Um, So that's really where it started. And I've been doing Turner Major League Baseball ever since. And after that first year, um, Turner... I think it was about 2010, they secured the rights, they went in this partnership with CBS for the NCAA tournament. Um, I had already started doing Big Ten Network games at that point, having moved to the Upper Midwest, transferring my college basketball from the Big 12 to the Big Ten, Big Ten Network. And so it was a natural fit to go do college basketball in the NCAA tournament, and then turn owned the rights to the NBA. So they, after I did a year of college basketball they figured well he's doing basketball anyway let's let's have him fill in for marv albert on the nba so i started doing that then i did the nba playoffs and so the answer to your question is turner owns the rights to all these properties the pga championship the nba on tnt the nca tournament major league baseball postseason my connection with turner is why i'm doing all these big events if they didn't have these events i wouldn't be they wouldn't have any content for me to do. So um, that's why uh, they put me in these roles. And, you know, it's been, I've had 10 years now of play-by-play on a network level, even though I spent nine years as a minor league announcer, one year simply doing major league baseball for a regional network, and then 10 years as a network announcer. And it's all because of those relationships and probably all because of CC Sabathia.
0: <laughs> Shout out to CC. So my next question I could ask, uh, I could frame it around, you know, a lot of the, the games you've called, NCAA tournaments, NBA games, but since the NLCS is fresh in our minds still, I'll frame it around uh, around that series and that platform. Uh, does, does the gravity of what you're doing ever, you know, creep into your head? Like you're the, you know, neutral voice calling a critical series between two immensely popular teams in two massive cities in, in Chicago and L.A., and you've done it for a few years now, um, like, do you ever sit back on that stage and just kind of blink and go, wow, like, you know, this is big time what I'm doing here?
1: Uh, yeah, sometimes I'd be lying if I said I didn't do that just because of my background, where I came from. I never imagined I'd be doing it. Um, but you got to um, put that in a box fast and move move on because I think it's very difficult to do it properly if you worry about that. Um, so yes, there are times when I sit back and just I'm amazed that, man, this is this is great. But then, you know, I used, I used to I used to worry that I wasn't going to get these kind of opportunities because I because of my background and um, you know it was very difficult for bosses at the Spurs to see me as an announcer because they had only known me as a cameraman. Then sure. the next step, it's very difficult for bosses at 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 the brewers to see me as, uh, you know, potentially a television announcer because I've only done radio or golf. And then same with Turner. Could they see me as a national announcer when I've only done the brewers locally? And so now, you know, you get into that, that type of thinking and you're wondering. So what you end up doing is you just do what you do. You do what you've trained for. You know, you just call it how it is and you prepare no differently and you I mean, I've matured over the years, and my voice has matured over the years, certainly. And, you know, I'm able to be more efficient in my prep, and I have better relationships. Like, I can, on text message, I have a a Rolodex full of contacts that I never had before. You know, I can contact a major league manager. I can text Craig Council if I need to. Or, you know, my brother's a scout, so he's always been a great resource for me in baseball. But that's the one difference you have quick information, a lot quicker than when I was, um, you know, not in the loop. So, really, if you think about that for a moment, but then you just call the games. And then, you know, I would say the biggest difference is the you get incredible blowback in the social media age from local fans. I think you even mentioned this in an email to me. But So you watch your teams all year. This, is, this happens mostly in baseball, but a little bit in basketball as well. But you watch your teams all year through your local channels, And you don't really hear, not that, because I'm a local announcer as well, I do the Brewers, but everything is framed from the Brewers' perspective, and so that's what fans are used to hearing. And so when you show up as a different voice um, than the one you've been listening to for the last seven months, uh, and then you're presenting both sides of it, and you're celebrating success from both sides, uh, then you get a lot of blowback, Twitter blowback mostly, which is irrelevant Um, to the degree of how you do your job. But, you know, you want to do a good job for for everybody. But I think that's the biggest difference is as you do these bigger games with bigger reach and, you know, now you're broadcasting to 15, 20 million people, um, then you're going to get more of that um, on your social media channels and people think you're biased for one team or the other. And, um, you know, and it's not not true. I, I don't have a... A dog in the hunt in any of these games, I, I don't care. Even though I do the Brewers, I I couldn't care less who wins. I, I just want a good series, and I want us to have a good broadcast. So, um, for our part as broadcasters, we we celebrate the success of whoever it may be. So, if a Dodger, if Justin Turner hits a walk off home run, I'm going to be just as loud for Justin Turner as I would be for Javi Baez when he hits um, you know a walk off home run. Uh, at Wrigley, so that, that's kind of the difference, and when somebody hears that, and, and you're a fan of the Cubs, and you hear an announcer kind of going crazy over a Justin Turner walk-off home run, your instant thought is, well, that guy's against us, we, we hate him, so that, that's the only difference, uh, everything else is, is the same, and, um, you know, there's a lot more people involved, and, but at the same time, there's a, the talent at that level uh, on the production is incredible, Camera operators are the best in their business. Uh, you know, the graphics people, the, 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 the audio technicians, the producer, director, you, you know. So every level you move up, uh, the talent around you is so much. It's like an all-star team of production. And so and I really enjoy that part of it and being able to um, tap into that world. And, you know, I'm part of that world, too. So that's what I really love about the job.
0: Yeah, like, like Joe Buck and recently uh, John Shambi say, you just got to tell all the fans you hate their favorite team no <laughs> matter what. That's that's the monster. Yeah, that's just <laughs> the way it is.
1: I think broadcasters have turned into, uh, you know, it used to be umpires were the ones that showed favoritism. Remember, I don't know, you're young, but there was a day when we used to actually think, and I, I'm a fan, I was a fan, um, but I used to think the umpire was against my team. You know, like he was truly, probably got paid off. And so I get it. But now, because of... Twitter and social media, and, you know, you can, every thought can be expressed. Um, you know, now it's the broadcaster who, uh, who hates your team. But it, it's not true. I mean, you can, it's fun for fans to go down that road if they want. I don't mind at all. Um, but it's not accurate. And I know Joe Buck, and I know Boo Shambi and Vaskirjan and all of the guys who call playoff baseball, and none of us are rooting one way or the other. We just, we want to call plays and we want a good game a memorable game. That's all we're rooting for is um, is a is a good series and a good game. What, what we hate is blowouts. That's when uh, you know that's when you have to work your hardest. So no, there's no bias. I promise. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, the uh, the NLCS and and Game Five especially were not interesting. They were you know like you said a blowout and uh, a short series. And the World Series might be over by the time this this drops. It, it almost certainly will be, and the Astros can end it tonight and wrap it up but um where does that justin turner walk off home run call rank for you in terms of your personal all-time favorite calls
1: yeah well it's you know it's on the short list for sure i don't know i it's not up to me to rank them i don't think because it's different sports but you know Mm -hmm. all of these calls that these big calls that end up as these iconic moments um you know this is another conversation i have with young broadcasters you you you're not thinking about that when you're calling it matter of fact i every big moment big call i've ever made from the roy halliday no hitter the last out to bronson koenig's game winner in the ncaa tournament or um you know the narrow miss by grant notre dame kentucky ncaa tournament some of the ryan braun home runs there was a call i had and of a ryan braun grand slam that actually ended up on an iPod commercial. In 2008, and so all winter they were introducing the new iPod, and all winter I would hear this commercial and my voice pop up. So it's cool, but at the same time, you're not, you're so in the moment and you're just calling it the way you see it, and then instincts kind of take over. The Justin Turner home run was a huge moment. You knew it was an iconic home run, plus it was 29 years to the day that Kurt Gibson had hit his walk-off home run in the World Series in game one of 88. So there was a lot of history and a lot of connection there um, that you're really not even – you've addressed, but you're not thinking about when it's happening because you're calling a live ball in the air. You don't know if it's going to be caught or if it's going out. Then it goes out. Then you make the call. Then the crowd goes crazy. And for me, I just laid out. I just stopped talking for a while, about a minute, um, just because all the crowd – a noise and the microphones on the handheld cameras were picking up all player celebration it was just great so there was nothing for me to add um, and then every time I do this I go I get in the car or go back to the hotel or wherever I'm headed and I think man I wonder how that sounded you know' I, I'm, I'm I'm dying inside to hear that call luckily with the events that I do those highlights are instantaneous you can go right to the MLB app or, you know, sure. the March Madness app, and you can listen to it. And so every time I go for the first time to listen to the call to see how it sounded, I'm so nervous uh, every time, even after all these years of broadcasting. I'm just, okay, let's let's go, let's do this, let's listen, and, and you know, and then you're just wincing and please don't mess this up because you know it's a huge moment, and then, you know, They all went well, and I'm glad they went well. And it's just massive relief, right? That's when you can totally put the day away is when you call it. It was a good call. You didn't ruin it. um, And then it's over, and uh, then you move on to the next game. And then it's for others to rank what are are the best ones. But really, um, it's up there on the short list, and and, uh, I've had a few great moments doing these bigger games on the network uh, level is, the, you know, it affords you the opportunity to be a part of these historic moments, um, um, and if you think about it that way, you'll blow it. So you just call it like you've called a Tuesday night walk-off home run in the Texas League with San Antonio beating Wichita. You know that's kind of how you got to do it, and then let all the other stuff fall into place as it will.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I've always kind of wondered if broadcasters, you know, like go to Twitter and check out. The call like right after the game and, and how much weight they put on themselves for that. Um, I mentioned, obviously, the before the show, and, and I've alluded to it a little bit here, I'm a big Cubs fan, and, and as a Cubs fan, you look at Milwaukee, and uh, you're looking at Milwaukee a lot more closely now after the season, especially, because you knew they were building and you knew they were doing it in a savvy way and on the come-up, but to be honest, I did not expect them to be this close to contention this soon i mean they scared the hell out of me this season uh you know being in first place for as long as they were nearly you know overtaking kind of a sluggish cubs team and and winning the central so from the inside how did this happen how did the brewers engineer this turnaround how were they competitive and how did they kind of arrive earlier than i think a lot of uh a lot of baseball fans and and media as well earlier than they expected
1: yeah well i put myself in that in that group as well i didn't I didn't see this kind of success uh, from the Brewers in spring training. I felt like they a good year would have been a 500 year, and uh, they were they were better than that. Uh, I think the Cubs, uh, coming off the World Series hangover, you know, breaking that hundred and eight year curse, was real, and they didn't play well in the first half. And I think every day the Brewers showed up, knowing that. Okay, we're we're still in it. We're a month into it. We're still in it. We're two months into this. We have a lead. We're at the all-star break. We're up five and a half. You know, I think that actually changed the dynamic psychologically a little bit for Milwaukee this year. And it also um, allowed them to go make some moves. You know, they made some acquisitions that made them a much better team. Um, which was great, and they didn't give up all that much, you know. Bringing in Anthony Swarzak and bringing in Stephen Vogt, so they added to their team. And um, you know, the t- team I saw in spring training wasn't the team that I saw at the end of the year, right? They had added some pieces, uh, guys had elevated their games. We had we had seen a, a, a number of young players come up and not just hold their own, but thrive. You know, like. Kids like Josh Hader and Brett Phillips at the end of the season, and these kids are thriving and mm-hmm. uh, are a huge part a part of what's happening and the success. So you know, you no one can really expect that from a rookie. Um, and then the pitching, just I think the pitching coach who comes from the Cubs organization, uh, Derek Johnson was the Cubs pitching coordinator. The Brewers hired him as the pitching coach. This was his second year. He's a mechanics guy. Uh, spent a lot of years at Vanderbilt as their pitching coach. Had guys like. Sonny Gray and and David Price uh, among many others under his tutelage and he's made a difference you know he, the game's changing as you know if you're a baseball fan uh, the way you pitch is changing you're not getting the low strikes high strikes also brings in the curveball which is a change of pace pitch also uh, allows you to use that that upper lane or that you know that plane we're talking about So they've actually gotten ahead of that curve, and most of the Brewers pitchers are throwing curveballs now, and that's why Chase Anderson has become an ace. He started throwing a curveball, kind of a loopy curveball that puts him in that same lane as his high fastball. Um, So those are real tangible reasons why the Brewers are better. These pitchers have adapted this style, and they've performed better. There's a heavy analytics equation, but it's a really good mix with the analytics and um, the feel, the gut of the game that Craig Council brings. So, yeah, I I mean, it all has come together, and I think it's only going to get better. Um, the Brewers have a ton of prospects in their minor league system, so if they get themselves in a position, uh, they can go make a deal. You know, I tell you, I think the one trade that they probably wish they could have made was um, to get a guy like a Sonny Gray or a Jose Quintana. Sure. Uh, the Cubs and the Yankees beat, the Brewers to that punch. And I think the Brewers were a little cautious um, on, on trading away a more significant piece. But I think, you know, we might see something like that this off season because they have so much depth in their minor league system with shortstops and center fielders. Um, that's what everybody wants. And they have a lot of that. So they could go get a piece this off season. And it's going to be fun. You know, the Cubs are going to be great for a long time. Uh, they've gotten – you know, their, their coaching staff has gotten bombarded here. Um, Dave Martinez has taken a job with Washington, which is great for him and a great opportunity. Chris Bosio's is out as pitching coach. I'm I'm a huge fan of Chris. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see um, how the Cubs bounce back. But, you know, the, the Brewers, Cubs, the Pirates, Cardinals are going to be good again. The division division's going to be really good once again.
0: Yeah, as a Cubs fan now, we don't just have to worry about the Cardinals. I mean – milwaukee now is kind of at that level and and it's developed a fun rivalry you know with like the you know the weather dispute that happened early in the year and the brewers (laughs) you could tell got up for those games and it was was just fun to watch and uh you know as divisional rivals can we at least agree and i I know you probably can't say it because you're you're a national broadcaster as well but can we agree that the cardinals are cardinals are really annoying i mean they ended that brewers (laughs) that great brewers teams run in 2011 and i'll say it because because about half of my followers on uh Twitter are Cardinals slash Illinois fans from my uh, college days covering Illinois sports. But uh, I, I've always, the Cardinals have always been a thorn in my side growing up in central Illinois. And now, obviously, still as a Cubs fan to this day, they never go away.
1: No, and the perspective you should be using, Alex, because you're a prominent national podcaster, is that <laughs> you can understand the fans' perspective on all that. And I, I totally understand a Brewers fan perspective on the st louis cardinals uh they've been a model organization they've won 11 world series uh they sell out every game yeah there's a lot to dislike if you're a brewer fan or a cub fan about the cardinals but um boy from a from a from a perspective of analyzing an organization man that's how you would build it right there i mean that's you build it with a great farm system and um yeah i mean they're they're a They're a fantastic organization, and they've been a fantastic organization for a long, long time, and it's way better, way more entertaining when the Cubs, the Cardinals, the Brewers, when they're all competitive. And if you're a Brewers fan, and the fact that you're in the mix now with the Cubs and the Cardinals, and after all those years of losing for the Cubs, that you're now in the mix as a perennial contender and a World Series champion, um, it's fun. That's what makes it fun. That's what makes you excited about going to games and um I'm so far removed from being a fan. You know, I'm a fan of athletes and performances and broadcast. Um, but I can totally understand where <laughs> where people would uh, want to dive in on either side of that fence, your love and your hate. And that's what makes sports great. And I'm glad there's that love and the hate because that's what makes the ratings uh, are what they are and that's what keeps me employed. So I'm all for it.
0: Yeah, that's, you know, like you said, that's that's why you uh, grow to dislike them as a fan because they were so good for so long and you kind of lived under that shadow for me. It was my whole life until these last few years, but um, yeah, definitely uh, there's a lot of underlying respect there as well. Um, Before we wrap up, Brian, uh, I want to kind of tie this in with, um, you know, you mentioned living in Wisconsin and uh, loving living in Wisconsin for the last decade or so. And and having lived there for so long, I'm kind of curious to get your opinion on, this point of view that I've kind of developed now, you know, following Big Ten sports for a long time and and uh even more so now and even professional sports as well, and it seems like a place like Wisconsin, it, the the fandom there is more communal than other places in the country. Like it's different than in Illinois. If you're from Wisconsin, you're almost certainly gonna root for the Badgers and probably the Brewers and definitely the Packers. And fans in Illinois, which, you know, it's a much bigger state that I'm using as an example but, you know, they might root for the Cardinals and their college allegiance might be all over the place and they might root for the Bears. And of course, like, you know, a huge city like Chicago helps skew this with people from all over living in this state, in the city. But uh, so it's kind of apples and oranges. But I do think there's something there that Wisconsin is a unique state where almost everyone is on the same page rooting for one college team and one pro team in each sport. So I'm curious to get your thoughts. Do you think that's kind of a, an accurate evaluation? And, and if so... Why do you think Wisconsin's like that, with kind of that fierce loyalty statewide? Because, you know, it's 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 not a small state. A lot of people live there.
1: No, I, I think you're on it. I, I do. Uh, I, I think that's a big part of it. And, of course, uh, the Packers seem to own the state, you know. I think the, Bre- and the Brewers are there as well. I mean, uh, I feel like when the Brewers are – I feel like there are a lot of Cubs fans uh, in southern, southeastern Wisconsin. There are a lot of yeah. Cubs fans, and there are a lot of Twins fans – in Western Wisconsin, so you get into the Lacrosse area, and I think it's it's easier for them to be fans of the Minnesota Twins. But um, I would say a couple of <clears throat> a couple of reasons why that exists is because there is this contained state with a network. So Fox Sports Wisconsin um, has this this massive reach in the state, <clears throat> and it's a heavy Bucks Brewers. Um, network. So I think the accessibility is there more so than, let's say, I grew up in Austin, Texas, right? So in Austin, Texas, even now in the regional sports network age, you had to make a decision whether you were a Rangers fan or an Astros fan, whether you were a Cowboys fan or back when I was growing up an Oilers fan. And I was an Oilers fan. I kind of gravitated toward the Houston teams. And most of that reason is because the Houston teams on home sports entertainment, which preceded Fox Sports, that was the market. So they had the Austin market. Um, you'd get Astros games at night. You'd get Oilers games when the networks um, would break off their regional games. You would get the Oilers on on the CBS affiliate. and So that's. I think that's a big part of it, the accessibility, right? And then I think Miller Park has... Changed a little bit of the dynamic um, for fans who can actually go watch a game. I think in the County Stadium era, I would say fans who are three-hour drive away or more were, would be very hesitant and weather-conscious on going to a Brewers game. And not that they didn't, but it's our group sales with with the Brewers are off the charts because people know there's going to be a game. There's a roof there. Um, It's going to be climate controlled. It's a great setting, great ballpark, functional as it gets, uh, massive concourses. The tailgating is welcomed, rain or shine. So I think that's a big part of it, too. And then, uh, you know, there is this territorial piece that Wisconsinites um, can stick together, you know, because we do live in the harsh weather. And and Illinois is the same, but Chicago offers – uh, a lot to people to move to Chicago that Wisconsin wouldn't necessarily offer. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're with a big business, big corporation, not that Wisconsin doesn't have this, but I'm just saying, in a, in a bigger scope, there'd be reasons to move to Chicago um, for for a job that might bring your fandom from another area. Well, you don't you don't have that as much in Wisconsin. As a matter of fact, I feel like those who move here with some of the bigger corporations whether it be GE or Johnson Controls or Harley-Davidson, um, folks who move here, they almost adopt the Wisconsin teams right away because it's a fun thing to do and you want to be part of the culture here. And I, and I would say I'm that way. Like, I left Texas. I was a, you know, I was a diehard Houston Oilers fan. And then, um, you know, I followed the Texas Longhorns as my college team. And, you um, then I moved to Wisconsin. I became a, a huge Badger fan, as far as football goes, and uh, watching the games and, and Marquette basketball and Wisconsin basketball. Before I started working at Big Ten Network, I was into all these games and being able to go see these games, and became a Green Bay Packers fan. So I think a lot of people do that when they move to Milwaukee. Uh, I've got neighbors who are are Indian. They're from India, and. <laughs> These, they don't really know football or baseball, but they love the Packers and the Brewers just because they love being in Wisconsin and they watch all the games and it's fascinating to talk to them, coming from India, how they've uh, enjoyed American sports. You know, they grew up in a cricket culture and they love that uh, social peace that Wisconsin sports fans get because of the tailgating. But, you know, it's just a, it's a different deal here, man. I mean, if you've ever been to a... Wisconsin sports event whether it be the Badgers or even Marquette or the Brewers, the Bucks, um, the Packers that there is a a great tailgating experience especially with the Brewers and the Packers uh, and and the Badger football games. There's an unbelievable tailgating experience um, that really is unmatched anywhere else for this many days of a calendar year between Brewers Uh, Badger football, Packer football, you could have, like, these social moments 30, 40 times, 50 times a year if you wanted to. Even if you're a hardcore, you could go up to 80 times a year with all the Brewer home games. So I think that's a big part of it, you know. People love to tailgate, and um, that's a big reason why it's this this communal affair that it is up here. I love it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, I I mean, it doesn't hurt, obviously, that the Packers and Badgers have been good for so long, um, and I i haven't been to a game at Miller Park yet. Uh, living in Chicago now, I really have no excuse not to go. It's one of my things to do for sure. I I really want to get up there because everyone raves about the experience in the ballpark and all that, and you mentioned that social aspect. I mean, I, I see that here. I mean, I, I live right by Wrigley Field, and uh, so do a lot of my friends and acquaintances and, and kind of social circles from, from college and People I know and, you know, people that were never Cubs fans before, I'll see, you know, in October and over the summer wearing Cubs jerseys now because it's a social, fun thing to do. You know, it's, it's sports. That's part of what makes sports great. So it's sure. it, It's the it's the fun thing to do, um, especially uh, when you're in, in your 20s and that age and there's a lot of social aspects built around it. Um, Brian, before I let you go, I did want to touch on uh, the Spurs briefly. Uh, first of all, I wanted to ask if you noticed what uh, – Former Illini, Brandon Paul, is done with the Spurs. I mean, I was yeah. planning on inserting him into this discussion, but last night he led the Spurs with 18 points, and he's really kind of awakened a lot of Illini fans who haven't seen a lot of NBA success from Illini players in recent years, um, besides like Myers-Leonard and Darren Williams. So I was curious if you saw, saw what he did and and, and kind of how he resurfaced after four or five years overseas.
1: Uh, absolutely, it's it's been a great story. I watched the uh, the Spurs and the Celtics the other night. I have the Spurs on TNT in Utah in December, and I'm still very connected to that organization, uh, having spent 12 years with the Spurs. So it is a great story. He's getting he's getting minutes. Um, uh, Tony Parker is injured. Kawhi Leonard is injured. That's opened the door uh, for a couple of guys.
0: Ginobili's um, old,
1: and Ginobili is yeah. Ginobili is not playing near the minutes, I was shocked he even came back, but, <clears throat> um, he's taken the opportunity, you know, and I, I like, I've always liked beat Paul, I think, um, I think Spurs fans are still at the point where they, they see a, a Paul with number three and saying, how do we get Chris Paul, that's amazing, um, they're still trying to learn who this guy is and figure him out, but you go overseas like he did, uh, it hardens you, it sharpens your axe a little bit, and I think, uh, you get into the Spurs system, um, and and I think Spurs fans know this, NBA fans know this, if you surface in a game with the San Antonio Spurs and you're getting minutes, there is an understanding that you you have already had to go through so much in the pop system to even get to that point. There is instant respect. So the fact that he's earning minutes means that he's gone through the training camp, the defensive part, the because it's a very complicated system and there's only you got to have some intelligence to be able to operate in this and you have to check your ego um, because pop will have it no other way and and I know him really well and I can tell you the guys who flourish in that system uh, guys like Jonathan Simmons who turned it into a huge contract with Orlando I mean these are the guys that are even Kawhi Leonard I would say you know is probably the perfect example of a guy who was a little under the radar and now has become a perennial MVP candidate. You, if you listen and you abide by that system and you're a team-first guy and you move the ball and you play defense, you're going to get a chance. That's all easy to say but very difficult to do for a player who's trying to make a name for himself and make a living. want uh, You want to try to score a bunch of points outside the flow of the offense and you will never last. So the fact that he emerges as a, a guy with minutes in the rotation with the Spurs right away tells you that right away that he's got it figured out and that he has survived that boot camp part of it. So now it's just going to be up to him staying healthy, um, not falling into the trap of wanting more. He just, you know, that's the biggest Pat Riley wrote, you know, the, the curse of more, uh, when you want more as opposed to what made you successful. Um, I think that will be the next phase for him because he knows he can score in this league. He's probably finding out that he can hold his own in the NBA. Uh, When Kawhi comes back, when Tony Parker comes back, those minutes are going to be cut. Are you going to come out of your shell a little bit to try to do more outside of the rotation Uh, because you're not going to be getting the minutes? But who knows? I mean, you you could find your way. I remember when Bruce Bowen came to the Spurs, he was thought of as a defensive specialist who couldn't shoot. And he ends up, his numbers hanging in the rafters at the AT&T Center now. He he bought in completely, and he perfected the corner three-point shot, and he fit right into that system. And from what was a very much of a Brandon Paul kind of moment where, oh, I can play in this league, oh, I can thrive in this system, um, he did. And he became an all-time great player for the Spurs and part of their championship. So there's no reason that that couldn't be available for Paul if he'll just keep Walking the walk, you know, fighting the good fight—all those cliches you want to use—but um, I'm very impressed. I was really impressed with him, his scoring ability. Um, watching him against the Celtics the other night, even though that was a loss.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned your relationship with Coach Pop is, is very solid. And I know when you left the Spurs to go to Milwaukee, you know he, he wished you well, and and uh, it was a very cool moment for you. you know, you've talked about it. Um, so let's, let's finish with. Uh, a coach pop anecdote but one that where you know a, as he is uh iconic for doing you know might make you feel silly you know we see him uh give the brief answers to reporters on the sidelines i, I just want to get a a moment where coach pop you know maybe made you feel kind of uh kind of small in your shoes
1: <laughs> that happens all the time <laughs> um no but as uh you know as a reporter <clears throat> the the way Pop deals with sideline reporters now, um, I was the reporter for the Spurs, the, the sideline reporter, before any of this was even popular. Or Pop was actually pretty good to the network sideline reporters. I used to get mad all the time. I'd always say, "You know, how come you treat Craig Sager so well, and you're always so mean to me? <laughs> um, but then that evolved into something more. Pop's angle with all of this is to, Stop having coaches interviewed during games. He he despises it. So that's why he became such a bear. It's a mission for him because yeah. he's not that way at all. He's actually he's great to deal. With. He he gives you a lot of information and. But I'll, I'll move it forward a little bit. But uh, the first time I did a play-by-play game on TNT doing a Spurs game, so I'm I haven't at that point I hadn't seen Pop in a couple of years. I used to go down to the Bradley Center when they play the Bucks every year. And I'd go see Mike Budenholzer and Pop and Chip Hale and all these guys who were um, um, coaches that I knew and friends of mine and all my broadcast buddies, too, that are still there. And so I'd go down every year. But I hadn't seen Pop in a couple of years at this time. And um, I was glad to be working in a working capacity again with Pop and the Spurs. And so, you know, I'm telling all my TNT crew, you know, about my background. And, yeah, this is going to be great, and I know the Spurs so well, and, so I, we walk into our meeting, we always get a meeting with the head coach before a game, we do about 15 minutes with each head coach uh, before the games, about an hour and a half before the games, great access and uh, always great conversations. So I walk in and I'm excited because I know Pop's going to, you know, like he's going to he's gonna shine me up in front of these guys. I think I was working with, um, with maybe Reggie Miller and uh, walk in and Pop kind of like sticks his hand out and kind of shines me a little bit you know it's like i was expecting a big bro hug and how you doing and great to see you and it was all business he stuck his hand out he goes sit right there and i and i was like okay it's all business right now and so we go through and i asked him a few questions and he was fine he answered the questions but it wasn't like he was um talkative he wasn't very chatty and he wasn't wasn't all that friendly so i'm thinking man i don't he either doesn't remember me or he's mad at me for something. I, <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. And so the meeting ended. We're all leaving, and, and I'm the last one in the line walking out the door, and I feel his hand on the back of my neck. And he grabs me when everybody else, the producer, director, Reggie Miller, our sideline reporter, was I think it was Craig Sager at the time, actually, they all left. They were all out in the hallway now. And he grabs me, and he pulls me back. He gives me a big hug. He winks at me. He goes, you thought I was mad at you. I said, I did. You're still in my head, Pop. So he's great about that. Like, he reads the room better than anybody. You know, he knew I was going to come in there trying to be all chummy, and he didn't want to present that to the others. And I learned a great lesson that day. You know, I'm here thinking I'm going to show these guys what a great relationship I have with this this coach, and uh, he wasn't having any of that. He's got his line that he's drawn, and he's going to stay on his side, and then soon as the meeting ended and now everybody's gone he grabs me gives me a big hug he's man I'm so proud of you because I, I'm so proud of what you're doing and you know had a lot of other things to say that I can't share but uh it was it was awesome man and that's those are the kind of things he does you know he's he's a special guy and he's a great coach and um I, I kind of wish he was our president right now actually I <laughs> tell him all the time I'd vote for you for president right now you know that he's like oh, I'm too old to do that but I should
0: <laughs> pop 2020 I love it um Amen. Brian, uh we'll wrap up with that. Uh listen, thanks so much for being so generous with your time. It was a lot of fun. Um we will obviously continue to follow your work. We'll we'll uh see you here on BTN soon enough. And hopefully I'll see you uh calling the NLCS again for the Cubs for the uh the, well actually they'll be in the they'll probably switch to Fox next year, but maybe a couple years down the road because the Cubs have made three in a row and uh I want to keep it rolling. So when I see you calling that stage, um, it's good news for my team. You are you are
1: th- absolutely owning your national broadcaster bias right now, aren't you? <laughs> you are a Cubs fan through and through. You can't oh, let yeah. it go. No, that's, see, <laughs> see,
0: I can't be a fan of the, the Big Ten teams anymore. So I got to uh, you know pour all of my passion into the uh, the Cubs and all my professional teams. So just think I, how many
1: Brewers fans just clicked off this podcast right now. You're <laughs> costing yourself, listeners, man. <laughs> hey,
0: hey, the Brewers fans know that uh, that I, I have a healthy respect for them as well. But, um, again, Brian, thanks so much for being so generous with your time. Really appreciate it. A ton of good stuff um, for, you know, up-and-coming broadcasters and sports journalists and uh, sports fans in general. So, once again, thanks a lot.
1: All right, Alex, you're welcome, bud. We'll see you on the Big Ten Trail, buddy.
0: Thanks again to Brian for joining me and for going to such – great deal on all those topics. It was a a lot of fun to uh, discuss that with him and pick his brain a little bit. And thanks to everyone out there for listening as well. And before we go, I do want to plug some of the other episodes we've released recently. Um, We had former Chicago Bears D-lineman Corey Wooten on to talk about his football career and experiences in both college and the NFL. And we had cbssports.com analyst and writer Dennis Dodd call into our weekly football focus show as well so be sure to check those episodes out all of which dropped within the last week or so so a lot of good stuff coming at you and with that um, we'll wrap it up thanks as always to Wes White for producing and we'll talk to you next time on BTN's Take 10 podcast